You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Abbott. Today's guest is the managing consultant at York 9FC. He has a background in data analytics and worked with Opta. He's coached Scotland's rugby league national team. Not everyone is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, the landlord and the staff of the Down the Pub podcast are pleased to welcome Angus McNabb. We are joined by York Nine. You've got like the longest title, I think, in uh, in football, Angus. You've got like uh, managing consulting, GM, president. What what should we call you, sir? Uh, managing consultant's pretty good for now. Uh, that keeps everyone on side with uh, immigration, and uh, that's what the visa's <laughs> for right now. So managing <laughs> consultant is uh, is what we're doing, and uh, yeah, managing consulting is what we're doing. Okay, awesome. And uh, welcome again to uh, Chris and to Carlos again. Thank you so much for hanging out, guys. No problem, my man. Thanks. Another episode. Thanks for yeah. coming on with us, Angus. Thanks for coming on, brother. No worries at all. Good to, uh, good to chat to you guys. So uh, the first question I have is, like, what attracted you to the, uh, the role at York Nine? We'd had a, a couple of meetings with... Uh, Mike Baldazar and the Baldazar family. Um, I actually met Mike down at SoccerX in Miami um, and had been out and uh, doing some just general learning about the CPL. Um, Oliver Gage, who is the sort of head of recruitment and analytics at the league, is someone that I've known for a long time uh, through my time with uh, Okta um, when he was with the Houston Dynamo. So I'd always stayed close to it. I'd always... Uh, kept an eye on what was happening there, um, had been involved with Sport Logic, um, with the sort of advanced data analytics tracking piece that they had done with the league as well um, when I was their consultant. So things just matched up very, very nicely when I um, met Mike um, and sort of learned a little bit more about his project with York 9 and what they're looking to achieve as a family and sort of take things on in year two. Um, and it was just a very, very uh, good discussion with Mike, with uh, also some other guys that were down there as well. And it just felt like the right move um, and felt like somewhere we could make a difference um, and actually do something because uh, I truly believe in what the CPL is doing, what it's looking to create. Um, and, and as well as that, the, the other side of it, the way the league is structured with uh, CSB as well. It's, it truly is as if you were going to draw this up again and start from scratch. Um, there's not many developed countries around the world where you have that opportunity to do so. Um, so it, it's a chance to make a meaningful impact and grow the game and do something pretty special. That doesn't come along too often. Um, and so it's a very interesting project to get involved with. How important was the, the groundwork that your predecessor did for you? Like obviously uh, you are new to the role now. So um, how important was that groundwork that was done in year one? Yeah, so the, there's a lot of things that uh, come across in year one. Um, year one for everyone's very much about sort of getting to that starting line really um, and I think some some clubs have been more successful than others um, I think uh, up in Halifax where uh, most of you guys are all based it's a pretty special environment um, I, I actually when I was doing my research and learning about the league I was lucky enough to uh, head up to Halifax when you guys uh, played Pacific on the Wednesday night in early October, um, and so had a couple of beers with uh, Dean Chillington, the owner at Pacific, before the game, and uh, then came down to the Wanderers' grounds, uh, watched the game with Derek, um, 
and then had another couple of beers with Derek and Stephen afterwards. Um, it's, uh, it seems like a running theme in your city, actually. Who knew, who, who, who knew on a Wednesday you could end up out, out till 2 a.m. speaking about soccer? But it was, uh, no, it was great fun. And, As um, Wednesday ever. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good fun, that, that game. And so just all of that, learning about the league from people who have been in it and um, actually learning from uh, other owners and operators across the country um, has been really valuable to me and what they've done in the groundwork in year one. Uh, to really look at what we need to do as a club and, and move it on. That's kind of why I'm out here from Dublin. It's like Dublin light, so. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, obviously, you mentioned there that you work for Opta and stuff like that. So, how important have uh, analytics become in, in football? For me, massive. Um, for me, massive. It's, uh, it's the core of anything. So, players are tangible assets on your balance sheet if you do this properly. So, if you were doing any kind of uh, financial transaction, acquiring a company, acquiring an asset, you do your due diligence. So um, data and analytics is important to us on the footballing side and who we recruit, um, but it's one of a number of things um, that sit there. Uh, it's quite funny. I've sort of been marked out as this sort of uh, data analytics moneyball piece and whatever else, but... <laughs> People, people actually forget like the point of Moneyball. The point of Moneyball is not using data and analytics. The point of Moneyball is actually about the valuation of assets yep. um, and, and the undervaluation and finding slightly distressed pieces and pulling them together um, for the sum and so that you have a better sum and a better whole um, that sits there. So that's, that's the key to it really is using as many evidence-based touch points as you can to really come to a decision-making process where you can, as much as possible, there's always going to be emotion in decisions, but remove the emotion and be very, very rational, considered, and thoughtful in everything. So it's one of a number of pieces, um, but for us at this level, um, it certainly helps us, and we've invested um, quite heavily um, with where our, our budget stands as a club, but it, it gives us the best opportunity and the best bang for our buck really to improve. Angus, um, really excited to do this interview because growing up I was a big stats nerd. I know my mom's going to listen to the show and she's going to giggle because stats were my life, analytics were my life, just breaking everything down after a game. Um, I used to wake up in the morning and box score read everything and just break it all down. And I was reading on your Twitter when I was doing a little bit of mini research on you, although uh, knowing a little bit about you before you joined the league, I saw that you were a fan of the Knicks, you're a fan of the Jets, um, the Mets. How has the, your obsession with these other sports, how have you brought that into football, especially the baseball aspect where stats are everything? Yeah, um, I, I suppose, obviously, um, let's just hope I'm a little bit more successful than Knicks, Mets, Jets. Um, that, was, that was my next question, um, actually. Uh, it's, it's a tough <laughs> schooling um, in North American sport when uh, that's what you get dealt. Um, but, hey, that, they're the teams you see, so they're, uh, they're yours. Um, you can't go switching once you've uh, done this, so you're stuck with them. Um, but um, I think... I think sort of everything I've done, so my, my background in terms of, like you said, um, I was heavily involved in uh, rugby, um, yep. rugby union and rugby league. Certainly from those sports, gravitated more to straight up video analysis and video review and sort of some very basic counting stats um, to look at effort and activity levels. Um, when you combine to that GPS data and everything else to sort of measure performance um, and effort, it's just something that those sports have very naturally lent themselves to and something that I, probably the same as you, always had an interest in um, and always looked at, whether it was um, deliberately seeking it out or just through curiosity, um, searching for those aspects and, and searching for edge um, like you are in any time in sport. So that bit comes into it. I think the North American influence generally in uh, football in soccer has start, started to creep. Um, and my sort of curiosity and familiarity with data and statistics in rugby when I was coaching um, really led me to, to Opta. Um, and then once I sort of became involved with Opta on the commercial side of their business in rugby and 
um, across the betting community um, and obviously with brands, sponsors, partners of leagues. That moved me across to North America and it was just really the, the perfect storm of working with uh, a lot of GMs within MLS um, as they were really riding that sort of whole analytics wave as well. It just put me in a very fortunate position to, to be very, very clear on this. I'm not the analytics guy who can sit there in Python, in R, and, and work through all of this. Um, I, I sit somewhere in between um, those guys and people who are doing incredibly smart mathematical things um, and actually translating oh, wow. that into coaching and putting it into the practical application. And I think that's probably the the missing skill set. And it's uh, in some ways, you, some of the great scenes in Moneyball are that sort of... Uh, the, the battle between old school scouting um, and old school opinion and sort of adaptation of data and, and sort of where Billy Bean was very successful was he took people on that journey. Now, there's, there's pain points on that, but he took people on it. Um, I've been very fortunate that uh, I work with a head coach with Jimmy who's incredibly open to anything that will give him competitive advantage um, and will take the time to sit and discuss and, and go through all these things and We've not necessarily introduced anything that's pretty mathematical or, or anything on that side, but we've given him tools that use technology, use data, use analytics to his advantage. Um, and data, and, and it's not necessarily the analytics part of data, it's how it fits into your workflow because we've already got a game tagged to a much higher level than we would do as if we were tagging it ourselves. So taking the Opta data and investing with Opta to make sure that we can import it. Um, we were doing some stuff this morning. Jimmy sent me a, a WhatsApp message at nine o'clock for the next set of um, analysis that the group has to do as their sort of homework. We had a game, we had a game downloaded by five past nine. We had all of the set pieces, all of the corners from the last 10 games of those teams from nice. last season. And so the players are able to get on with that and build up their picture, they have this separate video platform and, and chat room within it where they can do their analysis, compare notes as a group and help to really analyze opposition and work on game plan. And the foundation of that is data that powers all of the analysis, all of the timestamps within it so that we can get a better picture of it all. It's, it's not particularly sophisticated on that side of it, whereas we have other analytical tools with the 21st Club that we've invested mm. in over and above the league's program where we can look at, well, actually, this player in um, Brazil, Argentina, wherever else, how do they fit with our playing style? Um, what's the relative strength of the team that they're coming from? And, and all of these aspects that help us develop a picture before we go to the old school sort of watching video and scouting, and then the even old, older school picking up the phone and connections through these countries to actually find out what these guys are like as people. Um, because that's as important as anything when we uh, bring them into our environment as well. Your time with Opta, the, when you were there, it was kind of a transitionary time for football analytics. The, the late, well, I guess the late first decade of this century, 2010, 2011, 2012 is when statistics and football really started to hit that advanced stage. Um, in terms of a corporate level, what kind of input did you put into it? And who were some of the names and the faces that really inspired you to take it to the next level? It was very, very lucky. The CEO of Opta um, was Aidan Cooney, who um, is absolute brilliant guy. Um, had dinner with him in New York. It doesn't seem that long ago now with all this, but it's uh, this year's like it already feels like we've done a couple of years, quite frankly. Um, so, but it, it would have been either earlier this year or late last year. I had dinner in uh, New York with uh, Aidan and uh, caught up with him and he's someone that um, incredibly inspirational um, as a leader within a company um, and I think the thing with Opta is we, we really struck gold with just the people within the business at the time so to be part of a growing business that exits um, to a sale to perform which is another sort of sports media giant and with the creation of zone and everything they've done yeah. in, in the sport over the last couple of years as well so to be Riding sort of those waves of excitement um, to be really, really in the UK with everything that was going on at that time with the success and popularity of uh, Monday Night Football and sort of the start of Neville and Carragher and uh, 
initially uh, Ed Chamberlain and then Dave Jones really taking that program onto new levels. Um, it was just a lot of fun. Um, I, I was more on the rugby side initially, but the work we had done in rugby um, with sponsors, brands, broadcasters, um, then started to filter into football. And I started to do a little bit more work on our, uh, once we'd won the official data partnership with the Premier League um, and doing some work with EA Sports and their sponsorship of the Premier League um, and FIFA uh, with, uh, and, and actually, made a lot of great friends from that as well who I, I'm still in touch with, still chat to, um, who are very, very uh, kind over the years and had me out to uh, had me out on the pitch before uh, a Fulham Liverpool game. I think it was just about Carragher's last game in London and things like that. It was just a, a great time, a great business to be in full of passionate people. Um, and so Aiden was a big influence. He believed in stats, he believed in data um, and he actually just believed in his people. Um, it wasn't anything hierarchical or anything like that. It was, if you're good enough, go, do, achieve. And yeah. um, that's something. And and actually, go, do, and achieve. But if you fail, like, don't worry about it. Learn from it. Um, don't make the same mistake twice and go on. Uh, and that just led to a business that grew very, very rapidly. Sold to perform. And again, very, very good people there with uh, initially uh, Ollie Slipper and Simon Denyer. And then Ollie left, Simon in charge, and uh, Ross McEachran, who took over our side of the content business but again it's like relatively it wasn't a case of uh, right we're going to have to do this we've acquired a business what do we do it was we've acquired a business right Gus we believe in you you're in charge of the Americas and, and away you go and sort of go and grow this thing and so that was an incredible um, incredible amount of trust and uh, it, hopefully it paid off for them it certainly paid off for me and exposure to people and um working with a lot of people within MLS and, and making great friends within MLS HQ, uh, being on the digital side, the guys that are on air there. Um, we were based in their New York office and uh, really a lot of us grew up together. Uh, Andrew Lieby who's on MLSsoccer.com, bizarrely. Um, he's got a son who's about six months, maybe 12 months younger than uh, my son Cameron and, and he's also called Cameron. So we have a laugh about that and we have beer and whatever else. And it's just... A lot of guys who we grew up with in that office who are doing great things in MLS and um, guys who I, I worked with who worked for me at Opta. Oliver Miller-Farrell's now uh, down in Nashville um, and sort of was part of their last sort of 12 months piecing that club together um, to take to the field and sort of taking on a role as sort of head of analytics and recruitment for them, which... Uh, that's probably the best thing for me is a, a guy that was an analyst with us in our New York office is able to go on and thrive in the industry and do such a great job as he is and helping to put national together. Opta has inspired a wave of other analytics pages, websites, resources um, off the top of my head uh, who scored, for example, I think they refer to Opta stats and Actum stats. Yeah. 538 is its own kind of thing, which has kind of drifted into politics. And especially during the coronavirus, their charts have been really valuable for people that don't understand. Um, how does that feel to be part of kind of pioneering um, a generation of people like you and myself who are into this kind of thing? I think the best that 538, the reason 538 works is they take very complex data, make it one beautiful and two practical for everyone. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's well the key to it. So the the sort of the power of um, data analytics and delivery of it as infographics, that's a skill all in its own. And that's that's really important when we speak about making data, making advanced analytics very accessible. Um, there are some brilliant people um, doing great work within soccer and the clubs that have done the best and, and done the best with all of this are the ones that can uh, find the, world, the correct workflows for that sort of brilliance to shine through and present it into actionable insights. So the, the whole movement of it, the whole presentation of data, this whole um, sort of concept of big data, um, sort of our initial time at Opta, were we really big data? I'm not sure we were different and it was a level of data that hadn't been seen before. When you're now bringing in sort of tracking data sources and everything else, um, I think someone was telling me that you can get the entire box score history of baseball into about one terabyte. Now, when you look at a game with all of Kyron Hinko's tracking data and stat cast and everything else, you'd struggle to get 
everything that sits there because it's whatever it is, 60 frames a second on every pitch um, and you're tracking everything like that, you would struggle to get that on about 13 terabytes of data across an entire game. Again. All, of the, all of the player tracking and everything else. So you've got the entire history of the sport, 100 plus years in one terabyte. Um, and then you can, you can barely get a single game um, with the volume that's collected now when you're looking at fielding adjustments um, and, and everything else. It's, it's incredible that the level that people are going to it. And Liverpool have a guy who uh, I've got to know quite well over the years at the Sloan Conference, Will Spearman, um, who's a, he's a particle physicist of all things by trade, wow. working on their tracking data and um, working on everything there. And Will is just a phenomenally smart guy. Um, and uh, he's now working on their tracking data, their modeling capability, um, and everything else. And that's that's where the best clubs are doing it. They're taking guys like that and putting them in um, structures to succeed. This is kind of like following Chris's kind of like questions. I'm also like a big nerd of data. I don't know how many spreadsheets I do. I remember when the Wanderers used to play the next day, I used to just recollect all my data and just put it on my spreadsheets at work. I used to arrive to work like 30 minutes before just to like, you know, not, not taking like work time just to write my data and also like... It's all right, your boss isn't listening. You might, might have created yeah. a bit of work. Yeah, <laughs> and also like uh, I have, don't tell one soccer, but I have a... Um, kind of like a, I'm a content creator so I know all the dicks about it so I have like a software installed on my computer so I download from one soccer all the matches I have all yeah. the CPL matches from that season and I like to analyze it and everything <laughs> I'm just kidding but anyways um, this is more like regarding video and analytics like more rephrasing the questions about you um, modern day is about stats but do you think that uh, Every time technology advances, do you think that the eye of the coach is getting a little bit devaluated and relying too much into stats? Because, uh, for example, for national coaches, you know, they have the team 24-7 like a normal club. So they rely more into data to pick up what are the best players that are performing in that season before they do the national call-up. And I read a lot about this, and a lot of – Um, coaches or managers say the same thing uh, that they rely a lot on data but the problem of this is that the more technology advanced the more sophisticated stuff we we have the more data how many accurate passes how many corners etc and the coaches nowadays are relying too much into this data and not applying the common sense like the particular taste that I read do you think that this is something that is missing the more the technology advances? So the, there's a couple of points on it. So um, there's some really smart people out there um, at a company out in Australia. There's a guy who's a former Australian rugby player, Ben Darwin, who works with a company called Gameline Analytics. Mm -hmm. And their analytics and their focus is on uh, cohesion analytics and team cohesion. So actually teams staying together, the value of a team staying together versus the value of change. Mm -hmm. um, and, and sort of like giving, giving stuff time to breathe and time to sort of change. Because if you change every year, say for example, the Premier League, 38 games is not a big sample size um, to actually draw conclusions from. You, you would hope for much bigger um, mm -hmm. to look at that over a player's career history, over other elements where you look at it. So. That's, that's one of the pieces of it is that the coaches that make rash decisions based just on the data, that's as bad as the coaches who make rash decisions not using it. Um, so it's all about using things very measured, very considered. Um, and it's about understanding how you, it's again, it's that piece, how you transmit a message. You can have the, the greatest, the data can tell you everything, but if you don't vocalize it, if you don't sort of display it in the correct way, you're struggling. So What helps is certainly um, the media, um, Sky in the UK, sort of doing so much work on data, on analytics, because there's a group of players who are now coming through who are completely familiar with it. Mm -hmm. You'll see top-level Premier League clubs investing heavy in the same tools that Neville Carragher use on Monday night, so highlighting, mm -hmm. haloing a player to show, mm -hmm. right, I want to do this, I want to look at him. I actually, I want to connect the back four and look at their movement as they play together. So mm -hmm. it's that combination of 
knowing what are the coachable points mm-hmm. and knowing what are the things that the data tells us. The data be, can be as valuable to prove a conclusion as it, as it can be to get one wrong and throw something out. So mm-hmm. it's, it's how you mesh all this together. And it's, again, like we speak about Liverpool having guys with physics backgrounds and, and things on their, on their staff. That only works if everyone listens to them. If those guys um, work in a respectful environment where their views are considered like that and actually appreciated. So all of this sort of plays into it. And it's about building a holistic picture of the club so that you can deliver what your players need to perform. Some people, I, I don't think there's anyone who the data is killing what they're doing um, mm-hmm. per se or anything like that. I can't really think of any examples where that's happening mm-hmm. um, because the, you still need to listen to your players. You still need to do things. Um, the only the one area um, that's maybe somewhat controversial is when you actually start to use physical data, so GPS, things like that, um, and you look at injury prevention and things like that. One of the things that people will say on that is, well, that's all great, but did you taking that player out actually prevent an injury? We'll never know, like kind of thing. Um, the guy, you could have left him in and he could have been fine. Um, like that, those kind of things. Now, the chances are what you're doing is you're protecting and it's, again, big sample size to help you arrive to correct conclusions and, and ensure um, that effectively, and the way we use GPS data as the club is, it, it's a backup to protect our, all of our assets again. So why would we run the risk of further depreciation or dollars not being on the training field? Um, so if we can use it in that way, when people hit red zones, alerts and everything else, and Jimmy, Stolly, Kieran, mm-hmm. our physio, Camille, goalkeeping coach, they actually get all of those live during the session to their uh, either Apple Watch or to the, the iPad at the side of the pitch. When people enter sort of like a danger zone or anything like that, we're able to look at that from uh, our partners at Statsport as well. And that's the same system that Arsenal, Liverpool, um, those guys use as well. Right on. And this is good for York 9. And this leads to my second question, because um, do you think that eventually, you know, this league is growing. Um, CPL is doing fantastic things with every single team. Um, do you think that eventually the CPL would encourage each team to have this department? Because... I know you guys have, like, what are you telling, like, your nice seems like to have a very solid, established uh, data analyst team, you know, that can support the managing staff, the, the manager, the coaches, etc. cetera. Um, but that's a big advantage from Europe 9. Do you think that eventually um, the CPL will get that push to every single club owner just, you know, to, you know, to start, like, pushing, says, like, look, we want to, to – to have this department established too because football is evolving and the way that football is evolving I um, it's that this is kind of like a mandatory department for every single club you, we, we're seeing it in, in Europe uh, biggest and smaller clubs are relying into this so I'm assuming since now the CPL is a new league eventually probably potentially it's going to evolve like that yeah Again, massively impressed with the CPL from the minute I came in. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that they've appointed a head of recruitment and recruitment strategy in Oliver Gage, and um, they've now sort of extended that department with Aaron Nielsen that's in there, with Stephen Scott that's now in there, uh, with JD that's in that office, with Anthony Tatera. They, they have a reasonably sized football operations department that they actually help us um, on that side of it anyway. Um, and encourage teams to do more, to work with things there. Um, we don't have a, a big data analytics department. We've invested in a couple of tools that make it easy for us. Uh, we don't have a sports scientist on staff. We currently don't have a, a data scientist or, or, a, or even a video analyst on staff, but we just invest in, and, and it's because genuinely I've been in that industry. I've sold in that industry and know the various people, the connections that can help us sort of get there and shortcut faster. Um, so it's all of the clubs are looking at it. A number of clubs across the league use uh, GPS um, as well, various different provider systems. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a, a great relationship with Alan Clark, the CEO of Statsport, um, and we're able to do a, a nice agreement to bring them on board as a partner at the club for, uh, for a number of years. 
Yeah, sorry to uh, break up the, the, the data party. Uh, uh, <laughs> I was gonna I was gonna do it too, Anthony. So, um, okay. I was gonna so, do it so too. David uh, Conaghan was on the uh, one soccer hangout there um, during the week or uh, last week, and he he was asked a question that everybody seems to get asked about CPL expansion, and he mentioned that there might be another opportunity for a team in Toronto, considering that. To be honest, like you guys didn't obviously have the same attendance as what the Wanderers had last year. How would that work? I just don't see how another franchise. I just think it's going to harm your like your 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 team. We can focus on what we can focus on. That's us. It wasn't good enough in year one. Um, flat out attendance wasn't good enough. It's not where uh, the borders are. A family deserve to be for their investment, uh, and it's not where the fans coming up to the game deserve to be. We had already started to make some. Uh, pretty big changes in scheduling and it seems so crazy to speak about now because of everything that's gone on and uh, the <laughs> fact that we're looking at the sequestered uh, season and everything that David's uh, said on that. Um, but we were trying to make some big moves and some big changes. We were competing too much with regional soccer um, and with kids playing on Saturday afternoons, on Sunday afternoons. Um, and so if we want to be the heart and the pinnacle um, of soccer within our community uh, we need kids to come out to the stadium and see it boys and girls um, and we can't be kicking off at the same time as they're playing so the move to Friday night football um, was a, a real real stamp for us to carve out our own niche within what is a very difficult and competitive probably the most competitive sports market in Canada in Toronto um, people have options um, and we're not going to win people over with come and support local football um, because we're not local football we are Canada's national football league um, and we are a tier one competition in Canada come and watch professional soccer um, and we will deliver a first class match day experience and a first class product on the pitch that's what we have to do it's not about supporting local soccer or doing anything like that um, we just have to be better um, we finished third last season that's great in year one but we were closer to seventh than we were second. So we need we need variance and we need change within the organization if we're going to aspire to be better. If we stay the same as we are, we deserve to finish seventh in all categories league-wide. We've got to seek change. Um, we've got to sort of do things and make mark change to be better. Um, and the brilliant thing about all the staff within that club is they've all welcomed that. They all work incredibly hard, whether it's the coaching staff, whether it's the guys in the front office. Um, and I think we're on the right path to, um, to rectifying some of that now. Yeah, I mean, like in Ireland, like the, the, the league there is obviously not the same as what the Premier League is in, in England. They, they did the same thing. They moved their scheduling to, check to, to not compete with it. They've moved to Friday Night Football and they play a summer season. So it kind of makes sense to not try and compete with the MLS because unfortunately we're not in that place right now, right? So, and like um, not to not to toot the Wanderers' horn, but I, I one of the my favorite things that they did last year when the team got established was they did the blackouts on match days, regardless of what day it was. They made the agreement with the top governing body, and it kind of like trickled its way down to Division Two, II, Division Three, and, and I think that's that's a big reason why we had such an attendance success last year was because what you were just saying, Angus, the kids weren't doing anything on their typical match days, so they were going to replace that with the Wanderers. Yeah, I, th I think what you've done up at the Wanderers, and, and Derek Martin has become a very good friend and all that. Derek is a, a phenomenal leader of that organization with Matt as well, um, up there on some of the things he, that you did operationally. You created a stadium and an atmosphere um, that we've all got to aspire to in the rest of the league. It's it's an incredible, spe incredibly special football experience um, for someone coming in and seeing it. Um, and, and it's a great, it was for me, a phenomenal entry point into the Canadian Premier League. Um, we, we sort of say when we're at various meetings with the ownership that the only place that we do compete is on the field um, as owners. And I can say that someone like Derek, um, someone like Matty Afnick down in uh, Forge even as well, who are, so big rivals for us. Um, the desire to raise the collective standards of fan experience um, is there for everyone um, because it's what people deserve. People have waited a long time for this league to be theirs. 
Um, and we've got to make sure that we deliver, like I said, a, a first-class product. Um, like I, I don't want us to be measured as a, a standard for um, soccer in the CPL, a standard for fan experience in the CPL. I want everything we do as an organization to be world-class. And I want people to say, look at what York 9, look at what this club have done with the resources at their disposal and look at what they're returning. Um, that's the way we have to be. If we just chase something that's a little bit above us, that's fine. But if we go higher, the chances are we'll go above where we thought was okay before and keep going and going and going and set new standards, new marks. Um, and so like, we, we say it a little bit. I've said it to our staff. Like, um, let's be the absolute best at everything that takes zero talent. Um, and, and it's really, really simple mantra. But if we can live that and do that, we're in a phenomenal position. So um, I, I know that uh, people, you know, yourself, that we, these rumors kind of go around, but there was uh, messages sent out to York 9 season ticket holders about potential re- rebrand or something like that. Is that something that might be in the work for you guys? Yeah, so we've had the discussion. Um, basically, the, uh, the Estevez transfer was something that really, really uh, kicked it forward for me. Um, because I got a lot of phone calls from friends around the game worldwide um, who one actually sort of uh, triggered to them that I was here and I was doing this and two um, what we'd done in selling a player was was fantastic from where the league's been from to go to a top tier club in Europe and then the third question was like what's what's the nine what's this Um, so I just wanted to explore it with our fan base um, and sort of like um, the there are some things that I've done when I've come in that weren't necessarily um, the most popular straight away. Um, we put Yorkie back on his rocket um, and we did various <laughs> things there and, and sent him away. Bless because, his soul. Bless his soul. <laughs> I'm pouring out a little bit of liquor for our homie right now. Cause... Yeah, but it, it was something that was very forced and very contrived. It wasn't yeah. organic. It was, um, it was difficult to explain. And equally the name, it was sort of, there were a couple of things there that we... Um, we found difficult to explain when I was chatting to it. So, um, yeah, we tested the waters and we've had a discussion with our fan base on um, their views around that. Um, as is always the case with some of these things, um, it gets picked up on. Um, we we thought we owed it to have that conversation with our fans and see it. And But the results have been interesting. Um, there is a lot of people who sort of shared the sentiment of others, like, what is this? Um, and are we identifying ourselves as football or soccer within the GTA straight away? Um, so it's something we continue to look at, continue to explore. Um, if we're going to make a change, it's going to be for the right reasons. And the right reasons for me are that um, it's not about me putting my stamp on a club or anything else like that. It's about establishing long-term success um, off the field for us as a club and as a franchise. Um we, we have to be. Um, and it's interesting, we spoke about the Toronto market. Um, if the Toronto market's going to have another club, we've got to succeed as a club um, because we've got to show that the blueprint's there um, and a successful franchise, um, one successful franchise is achievable. Um, and I think when we speak about, David speaks about Toronto franchise, the GTA uh, and Toronto with like sort of its urban sprawl really, to it's a pretty big area. Um, and you know what? Derbies are great. We've got a great one down the road against Forge. We've not got another Ontario Derby now with Ottawa. Um, if they want to put someone else on our doorstep for us to beat, bring it on. York, York Celtic has a nice ring to it. Oh, yeah. Don't tell Commissioner He's <laughs> well, uh, Is he a Rangers man? man? Yeah, well, he's... I'm not sure if I might give away his, uh, his football in. Yeah, you, you're like, uh, news to me right uh, now, man. Uh, we can cut this out, Anthony. He's a, hey, is he, is he up nine season to get older? He's okay with green. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the, the, the Telfer transfer, like obviously that was a bit of a something out <laughs> left left field for everybody, I guess. Um, how, how did that come about? Because obviously he joined the team in Cyprus and all that kind of stuff. So um, Yeah. Um, and good for you guys. And good for you guys. Great for us. Great for us. Um, delighted to have Ryan back. Um, obviously didn't know him uh, before this, but um, I chatted to a, a couple of people, a couple of friends or GMs in MLS um, were rather complimentary, but at the same time were, I wish 
wish that we had known other things there. And uh, Ryan Still player has got phenomenal interest in him um, in North America generally um, because of his talent and his ability. Um, he's obviously very comfortable in our environment, our setup. Um, he uh, he shares an agent and representation with uh, Ija Howie, um, who we had signed as well. Yep. And so once the Ija deal was done and, and various conversations there, um, yeah, in terms of the various things, all COVID-related, um, it was just really accelerating this. Like we, we knew Ryan's contract was relatively short-term. We knew when the season in Cyprus ran. Um, I, I always had a bit of pocket money saved up, hoping that we might be able to get him back from Cyprus in July. Um, because, like, yeah, the, we set up our squad with the intention of moving players. Um, we want guys to come into our environment, get comfortable there, learn their trade, and then sort of perform for the first team, excel, and then sort of use that money to sort of keep building um, as a club, as a squad, as everything else. So we always had ambitions that, yeah, even if we had 23 in and we had started on sort of in early April against you guys at our place, that we would be moving someone on in this window. We hoped we would be moving a player on and we would have started well. Um, but the world up a little bit, Cypriot League uh, coming back and finishing early um, happened. Um, and well, as soon as that season was over, um, it was starting to think about, okay, what's Ryan's next move? What's he doing? When's he going to be back in Canada? Okay, if he's back in Canada, how long does that mean he's quarantined for? Okay, could we get him signed? When could he be out training? And... Uh, it all came together. I'm very, very happy and uh, delighted to come back. And uh, I think he's going to be a, a very, very important piece for us this year. Definitely. Uh, like, I think it's just as important to get him back as it was for Estevez going to, to Holland because it's a big move for the league. So congratulations. It, kind of along those lines, um, you know, at the, the beginning of the season, the beginning of the off season, we did a little round table in December and, the last question Anthony asked was who was our favorite. And I said Pacific and everybody gave me the ugly eye. But um, as, as much as I want to say the Wanderers right now, if I'm looking at that York nine roster, top to bottom, you guys are looking really solid. Uh, you're new on the job. So what input did you put into it? Or was there kind of a plan set out and you were just kind of there to, to ride the wave, I supposed. Right, so there was, there was some things already in motion um, when I got there. Um, Jimmy made a lot of the decisions about the returning players and everything there. Um, and then it was about working together um, immediately on the, um, I think I was there like 24 hours and we were working straight away on the, uh, on the draft, on the player draft. Um, and so looking at that, looking at, and, and making some moves in that, um, we were one of the only clubs to look and dip into that draft multiple times. Um, and then once that draft was over, there were a, a couple of players that we felt um, their salary and their budget charge meant that we wouldn't necessarily look at that player. Um, but once the draft process was over, um, in sort of a little bit of a free agency type situation, we then dipped back into that and um, sort of looked at it pretty hard again. Um, so there, there are some players that we're very, very happy that we've picked up. Um, similar to you guys getting uh, Jamaican from Cavalier, uh, Nicholas Hamilton, someone that really, really excited um, to get into the country when all of this moves and, and works. And then beyond that, it was um, generally about being opportunistic. So when we get the chance at Julian Altabelli a little bit late, but a kid who's been in uh, the national under-17 setup, um, yeah. that's where we want to be. Um, we want to sort of, be competing for the best young talent in Canada. Um, MLS is structured in such a way that um, sometimes players don't get shot. Um, and we're not going to be afraid to pull them into our first team environment early um, and, and give them a real go. Max Ferrari's one way there, Ija Halley, as we said. Um, and then even starting to look at our our roster planning and getting uh, Maury Donner and Absey on sort of uh, contract extensions and long-term deals. And and in some ways, slightly different from the way it's been done before and other clubs. Um, I, I just said to our media and our content team, okay, I've done this, get that announced. Um, and it was like, 
no, let's let's do this. We're going to operate in this way. And the thing that fans like, and you guys have proven it now as we discuss it, transfers are what people want to speak about. Player movements, who's in, who's out, what are we yep. doing? Um, and so what we've tried to be is just very open and honest on that conversation. Um, and just sort of, this is our sort of process on the data analytics side. Um, this is how we look at players. This is the way we think. Um, and these are the guys that we've brought into our environment. Um, so all of that was great. Jimmy and I are on the phone probably too much um, at this moment in time um, and at all moments through it. And just sort of looking at who we thought that we should be in the market for, what we should be doing. And then some other things that Jimmy hadn't looked at before, but ultimately looking at this and looking at um, where our dollars are distributed um, versus last year. And even like some of the stuff with Jimmy that we hadn't looked at before, we made one, what actually when we look at it with all the players that we've managed to bring in, the most pivotal move for us um, was probably clearing cap space and uh, agreeing to buy out Simon Adji. Um, that was a, a move that we had to make. Um, if we really wanted to, as, as I was chatting about before, seek variance um, and do some different things. So moving some players on to get that cap space to make these moves and, and sort of spend those dollars in different ways was just as important for us as anyone else would say. And that leads into my next question. Perfect. Without getting in too much trouble, um, coming to North America, different kind of league structure and everything. We've had the opportunity to talk to dozens of players over the last couple of months. And, and one of the questions we were asking Richie Ryan was about the structure of the league, but from your aspect, building a club, everything else, has it been difficult to work within the cap confides and uh, Gus, I guess, following up to that, cause you were just talking about the draft is there something that you think the Canadian Premier League could do better with the draft um, going forward where it's protecting the players or protecting the clubs, whereas they, they have an asset, but this guy might want to go back to school. What are, what are some ideas that you might have in your head that you'd be able to offer the league and maybe throw our way right now? Um, genuinely, the cap's the cap. Um, it's a hard cap. It's got common. It's got various things in it. We're not doing anything silly in terms of, what guys get benefits as cash, um, that's the cap. We work to it um, and that's it. It's um, it's pretty good for a startup competition, quite frankly, when you look at it okay. in global terms and I'm okay. sick. Um, and, and why people say, and um, even with some of the chat with the boys on one soccer with uh, Kurt and Ollie and uh, those guys, like we've, we've still got room to do things with our cap. Um, like with where we sit, with everything else, um, if we had more stuff. That's scary. Open, we could That's scary. I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to cut you off. That's scary because you guys got a damn good team. Yeah, but it's, it's been smart with it in terms of an, an actually um, getting things correct um, and sort of really, you, you just have to make um, sensible decisions, really. Um, yeah and sort of stick quite hard. We've been very, very fortunate that we've worked with um, good, reasonable players, good group of agents um, as well. And ultimately, we, one of the things that you develop a little bit of momentum. So even with some of the young guys, with once we had signed uh, Elijah, the signing of Julian, um, something like, okay, this is interesting. This is a club that's going to back young talent within the GTA. Um, so that, certainly helps us um don't know how that will play out in future years um yeah. but for now um it, it certainly helps us when you look at someone like maury donut in terms of it's very very simple but you get a guy who comes in uh last year from nowhere establishing himself and the same with absi maury and absi uh, yeah establish yeah. himself as up there um no question top three arguably the best and i would put as the best right and left back in the league um, like that's why we make an investment in guys and offer them contract extensions. If people come into our environment and perform, we will reward you and we'll look out for you and we'll look after you. Um, and the support services that we've chatted about earlier with actually their wellness, their GPS, everything else, um, sending the guys down to a, uh, and, and just knowing how to spend our money. Um, like yeah. everyone else, like we, we definitely, 
um, benefited. And I, I really stand by the fact we've benefited because the first thing we did when we got back to pre-season was stuck on a plane to Florida. Um, we don't need a week to acclimatize in a, in a bubble in February um, in, in Ontario. Like As soon as we're able to, and as soon as we hit early March, let's get on the plane, let's get to warm weather training, let's get somewhere where we're all together. Um, it might not be a four-star complex or anything else like that, but if we make that sacrifice there, we can actually stay and had COVID not hit, we would have, we would have been away for 13 nights down in Florida for pre-season. Um, at something that was a, a better budget proposition than we'd spent the year before for seven days. So just looking at smart decisions within our budgeting, our scheduling, how we handle the environment, how we handle the squad, we can create an environment that players want to be part of as well. Um, and and that's, that's what we've got to be um, across everything. And I think everyone across the league is trying and striving to do the same thing. Um, and yeah, we, I just... I can't wait and I'm very, very lucky that even when we do this and we assemble squad and whatever else, um, I've got a head coach who's the same as me who speaks about it in the same ways and says that we're about winning. Like We're not doing this to sort of like, oh, isn't it great that we've got a league and we've done this. That that was fine. Like now it's about developing and winning um, and we've got to do that as pro sport. Um, the analytics, all of that, that's great. Like, I look like an absolute idiot if, if we fall flat on our face and we don't perform. Um, and that's fine. We accept that. We want that pressure. We want to win. Um, and we want to be a championship contender every single year. Just, just, just on your, your last point there, Balotelli looks like he's going to be free. You better stop. No, that. I tell you what, massive Italian community. Massive Italian <laughs> community where we that's are. That's true, uh, but I don't know if I don't know. I don't know. You guys got mine back, man. At this list of my questions, speaking of strikers, How's my boy, and I'm not saying this because I'm from Peru, how is Adrian Ugaris adapting to, to York 9? Yeah, he's great. So Adrian was with a squad um, down in Orlando. Um, he actually flew back um, to Peru rather than uh, coming back with the squad when everything hit. Um, we had Adrian and we had uh, Brian Lopez down there uh, with us in Orlando. Um, so we're in a little bit of a holding pattern, the same as everyone is right now, just... Uh, just waiting, but Adrian's a great kid. Um, cannot speak highly enough about him, about his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so we, I think we managed to get one, I'm trying to remember that, we got, again, it feels like it's been a long year. Uh, we got one of our sort of friendlies down there um, against uh, Chivas USA on the 23s team. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't get our friendly um, against one of the colleges down there that was scheduled for the Thursday that were there and we didn't get our friendly against Orlando City B either um, because we flew the guys home early um, from Florida and again Porto Zaras were phenomenal um, dipping into their own pockets and making sure that everyone was safe and just getting everyone back um, mm-hmm. but Adrian at that point um, the idea was that we he would have seen out the camp um, and completed some of the stages of his visa process in the US um, mm-hmm was processing and same with uh, Brian Lopez, but um, wasn't possible. And so he's, uh, he's back in Peru so, uh, right now. But we'll, uh, we'll wait and see with uh, all of these guys and when we can uh, get them in the country and join up. But all of this, it's, uh, it's pretty exciting. And even with the guys that we've got in the country right now, like, yeah. uh, we're, we're pretty happy. Uh, as, we, as we said before, it's, it's a great group of guys. Um, some some players have completed visa process. Uh, Gabriel Vasconcelos is there mm-hmm. with the squad, and he's just a, an absolutely brilliant guy. Very very like what we describe as a high character person. Uh, mm-hmm. He's come here. And, uh, he, he's had a rough start of it. I think he was uh, I want to say eighty three, but it could be longer than that. Eighty three days in Canada, um, just sitting around twiddling his thumbs in the team house. Um, mm-hmm. Not able to train or do anything. Um, so, but uh, he was with uh, the, the Japanese connection um, with uh, Wata and Fugo, um, like those boys in the house together for that period. And that he's in there now with them as well. Um, good so, bonding. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, they're, they're a really, really good group of guys. And uh, yeah. that's very, very happy with uh, the, the people we've recruited as much as the players we've recruited. How are you doing for time there, Angus? I, I want to ask you like a, a couple quick ones. Um, the, the first one is uh, very easy. Um, 
Toronto FC is a big elephant in, in Toronto. Um, I know different leagues, uh, you guys don't play each other, but how difficult from the branding and marketing perspective and catching supporters to your club is um, competing, not competing directly, but probably indirectly against Toronto FC from the business-wise? Yeah, it's, it's sort of the same answer as before. Um, we've mm -hmm. got to provide value in our fan experience. Um, mm -hmm. we've, we've made a move to carve out our own sort of niche in the Toronto sports marketplace. Um, mm -hmm. And we've got to do more. We've got to do better. It's not about, well, hey, we're also soccer come here. It's like, mm -hmm. hey, we're a bloody great family day out. We're a bloody great experience for young students with the green lines. And... Um, It's not about them the us, it's about us showing value and us being better, um, and then results will happen. You, with Opta, we discussed it at the beginning of this interview, um, all about facts, about uh, stats and everything. And also you are a managing consultant. Um, how um, challenging for you is just to, to kind of like split yourself, your mind into both kind of roles for the club is, is it really there's days that, that you find like really stressful like being um with, with the stats or i don't know if you can like tell us a little bit more like to resume about your day-to-day -day. it's just time management um mm -hmm. sort of you you have your various things that crop up during the day um but uh you you just whether it's right okay we've got some work with uh jimmy stolly camillo ryan brennan um on the soccer ops side Um, or whether it's working with what I think are, um, yeah, I think genuinely in terms of our, our guys in marketing and content, um, Nate and Rob are the best two guys in the league at sort of producing and getting content out and actually taking and being open and taking direction to get the right content out as well. Um, mm -hmm. So you just divide your day. Um, you, you're very nimble, you're very quick, very flexible, um, and you just get everything done that you have to do. Um, Sports a great level on that front because um, whether you're ready or not, something kicks off. Um, so you've just got to get on, make the best of it, and make sure that you, you're quick, you're nimble, and, and you're ready to move on things as when they happen. Carlo and Mark, talk about your relationship with those guys. I know you were just saying that they were like throwing the dollars out for the people to get home, but like they, how you're new to the job, so this is a fresh relationship for you as well. Like. I know you talked about it already before, but like just from a personal perspective, I always am really interested with the active staff and the owners, how they have a relationship. We always talk about players and coaches, but how are you with those guys? Yeah, so um, Mike as our chairman um, and his father, mm. Carlo. Uh, Did I say Mark? I'm sorry. That's all right. No problem at all. Um, Correct my ass. I love it. <laughs> no, Mike and uh, Carlo are great in terms of it's a very, very – Um, open, frank, and honest dialogue um, that you have with an ownership group. Quite frankly, with, excuse the swear, no bullshit, nothing like that. You just have to tell it as it is, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. Um, it's, it's just as it is. Um, don't hide it. Stick your hands up when mistakes are being made. Um, and then as long as you're doing that, um, they're very, very uh, willing to sort of uh, give you the trust that it takes to, to run an organization like this. They are very, very passionate and committed fans of uh, soccer in Canada um, and of the CPL as a project. Um, yep. they've, it's uh, between themselves and uh, not just themselves, like much the other owners, but themselves. They have spent millions bringing this club to this point um, and they are so committed to the community we're in um, and just brilliant people to work with. Um, and I just hope that I get the opportunity to partner with them and um, I, I earn their trust for a long time and, and continue to deliver for them and for our fans. That's why like York is one of my favorite projects in the league coast to coast because it really is a bare bones kind of project with an incredible ownership group that really wants to bring something not different, but something on its own to not just Ontario, but the entire country. So my last question, and it should have been my first question. I want to know about McNabb sports management. I want to know about what your thing is all about. Like, like, like I said, I did a little bit of, little bit of tweaking on the study and thing. Like, is this something that you're trying to actively push now? Is this something you're setting up for after your career? What's the mission statement? What's your goal with this? I, I'm just someone that sort of believes in the intersection of uh, technology and sport. Um, 
have been very, very fortunate to be involved with a number of business, whether it's sports performance technology, um, whether it's data analytics, whether it's the marketing, the commercial side, and how we package inventory and assets. Um, have served on the commercial advisory board for USA Rugby, for have worked with oh. brilliant growth companies in sport logic. Um, been very, very fortunate to do some work. Um, with a couple of MLS franchises and, and things there, just with my own consultancy. And in some ways, that's what led me to York 9. And uh, York 9's the, the principal project right now. Um, but it's uh, sport and technology is just a, a huge passion of mine. Probably too much of a passion, as my wife would say. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's just uh, the area, the industry, I believe in, I think, combination of uh, sort of putting the right people in the right roles and uh, helping people out within that industry, whether it's good friends who own businesses, whether it's various others that, that I've worked with that, that are in roles at clubs. Um, I just hope I continue to do that for a long time. Does this, do, do you have any time in your day to play football manager? Nah, do the real thing. We're all doing the real thing. I mean, like uh, I do have it on the phone. I've got the mobile version on the phone. There you go. Um, and I'll have, I'll have the odd game on, a, on an airplane or something else like that. Um, I've deliberately stayed away from the, uh, the CPL patch in it um, because I'll probably disagree with people's ratings <laughs> or something like that. Um, but, uh, from a fan perspective, it, it, I, I agree with you completely, so I know exactly what you're saying. The data and all this is great. But it's also equally as great, so you can say that that's either nonsense. This is what I think. Um, so we, we've all got that irrational bit, and sort of like everything I've said earlier, um, it, it's curbing that irrational um, is what you've yeah. got to do a lot of the time. So yeah, you play a bit of football manager here and there, but um, if I'm not doing this with the club, it's uh, my wife and my son that uh, have to get um, as much of my full of attention as I can give. <laughs> like I, like you said, man, you're living the dream. You're you're literally living football manager. So <laughs> I, I, I before Anthony finishes, I appreciate you doing with this. I, like, so just to, the last question, just to close it off and let you get back to your life. Um, <laughs> so so on like uh, one thing I I love that you guys did during the whole COVID thing was the the healthcare heroes badge. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us where that came from and uh, what, what, what 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 that kind of stuff means to the community for you guys? It, for us, it's, it's about being a genuine sort of heart in the community club is just so critical to us. So um, the healthcare heroes and everything that we're doing there was just absolutely massive and, uh, and vital to us. So what we were looking to do there is just develop some real authentic community and just say thank you more than anything else. Um, it was like my son here. Just, hey, I'm a, I'm a father too, bro. It's all good. I know how it, it works. This is the new normal. It used to be that famous interview on the BBC. About yeah. Push the kid out the door. Yeah, yeah. No, this is it. This is the new normal for us all. Um, it's, uh, Cam, are you going to come and say hi? I was going to say, who's who's the little one Cam, here? Cam, little you're one. on the den, the pub pub. Come on, pal. Oh. Cheers, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. <laughs> Oh, he's inside his bedtime there. Like my little one's shy when he sees people he doesn't know. No, it's good. And like, so, nice shirt, buddy. I love Curious George. Send me a lovely shirt, Curious George. He's <laughs> um, No, so the Healthcare Heroes patch was massive for us because it's it's about us being um, and using our platform to be front and center in the community. Time for bedtime. It is time. For bedtime. <laughs> it is. That this this is going to be the best end to their podcast ever. It you is. Can, they it can is. leave that in. It is. Cam, Cam says it's time for bedtime. So, um, Cam, can you say the Halifax Wanderers are the best? What's it? No, Cam. What is it? Who's it? We support York Nine. Wanderers, right? I'm sorry we've we've thank you very much for uh coming to this interview Angus it's bedtime your uh your your manager has told you it's time to go so yeah the gaffers the gaffers pulled me so so Please, thank you very much. Thank well, you, you know so what? That, that was, that, that's a good answer because, like, like here, we have such a community connection, and it's cool to see another club <laughs> making that connection. 
And I'm not saying some of the other clubs haven't made that connection, but hopefully the other franchises look at what you guys have done and kind of followed suit even beyond COVID. Like, why can't yeah, we? Like, we have to. The old, I think the old motto and the old city of York Crest is from one community. And so we looked at that. That's a huge thing for us this year. Um, we have to pull that in. We have to do that. Um, and we have to be, we can't just say it. We've got to mean it. We've got to be part of it. Um, that is critical for us. We have to do that um, or otherwise we fail. Um, if we don't use our platform, um, if we don't celebrate the people in it who do things that are extraordinary, um, we failed. We're just another soccer club. And there's enough other soccer clubs in the world. Um, we should do something that means something to people. Um, and that's, that's what, we're, what we're aspiring to do. There's, uh, it's up on our website. There's a new vision, vision, mission, and set of values for us as a club. Um, that should guide everything we do. And the Healthcare Heroes patch fits very much into that. So that, that's awesome, man. I really appreciate your time. Um, go get that poor child what, to bed. Uh, I'll get that poor guy to bed, but I, I promise we'll do this. Uh, when, when we get back to normality and when we get up and we play you guys at the Wanderers Grounds, uh, we'll go and do this in the pub with you guys. Yeah. And we'll do it again. But That'll be thank amazing. Thank you much for uh, all you do for the league and everything else. Um, it's about it's about passionate fans and you guys clearly are so thank you thank you very very much thanks again to angus carlos and chris for joining us this week um, it was a lot of fun to hang out um, as always you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter until next time cheers you've been listening to the down the pub podcast recorded in halifax nova scotia Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.